You are listening to the Scars and Guitars podcast series that syndicates for the A-List online. My name is Andrew Mackay-Smith. Welcome to the show. The interview subject coming up for you is Gilby Clark. If you don't know, and I assume you all do, but just in case you don't, he was in Guns N' Roses. He appeared on The Spaghetti Incident, and there's a few live albums out there that display and showcase his impeccable guitar performance. The catalyst for the conversation with Gilby is his brand new solo album for 2021. It's titled The Gospel Truth. Do check it out. Gilby is far from what is known as a rock and roll survivor. He's a rock and roll thriver. I love what he does. I truly do. He's one of those guys who is carrying the rock and roll torch well into the 2020s. He's far from a nostalgia act. So here he is. The great and powerful, as Joe Rogan says, Gilby Clark, ex-Guns N' Roses. How are you going? There you go. That's so much better. All right, good. All I good. Better now. No worries. Yeah. No, it's just, I, I've just noticed too, you're, I didn't realize uh, you're a huge George Harrison fan. So there you oh go. my God, I'm a big Beatles guy, man. I love the Beatles. <laughs> nice. Yeah, no, they're quality photos with their pictures there behind you. Yeah, nice. That's See, Those were from the Time Magazine thing that they did. Uh, you know, they had that feature in Time Magazine where each week they released a different uh, cover photo. Nice. Okay. Well, there's, there's quite a bit of Beatles and, of course, quite a lot of stones in the gospel truth. I'm enjoying it. Okay, John sent across the, the the stream, and and overall, I just think it continues your penchant for crafting high quality rock and roll. But something else I think you've done with the gospel truth, Gilby, is I think you've taken it back a gear on some of the cuts, which is just a glorious thing to hear because your your voice is underrated. I don't think you get nearly enough oh, credit. Thank you for saying that. Yeah, thank for you. for the way that you sing, and uh, it's. To me, an album like this is a classic late night driving accompaniment. Okay. Because I love it when music finds a place in my life. The other thing that I think you've done with this album here, though, is I think you've rewarded your longtime fans, people like me that have been with you ever since I heard about you in Gunners, mm-hmm. of course. You know, Thank that, you. but that musical journey that you've taken people on through, through Guns, MC5, Heart, <laughs> Rockstar Supernova, you played here in Brisbane. And, and, of course, your solo material. So do those statements resonate? Absolutely. I mean, everything that you just mentioned, I, you know, I learn, you know, and I've never been one of those guys that says, oh, I've achieved this. And, you know, I, I know how to play. I know how to sing. I know how to write. I, I always feel unfinished. I always feel like I want, I want to get better. I actually enjoy the process of getting better. And so every project I have done, whether it's, you know, a short tour or even two or three dates with someone new working with uh, Steven Tyler, you know, mm. you learn, you learn from these great people and I take it in. There are times when I'm working with them where I just shut the fuck up <laughs> and really, and I just absorb, you know, because there's so some of these guys have so much talent and that's why they're successful for that long. But yeah, Rockstar Supernova, even working with Tommy, I've known Tommy you know, since he was 18 years old, hmm. but I learned he, you know, he's a very modern person. You know, the way that he performs live is very modern. You know, you know, he has drum triggers, you know, he plays hmm. the tracks, whether the audience hears them is, is one thing, but he needs that for his inspiration, you know, with heart. I mean, I always thought I was, 
I, I did a good job as being a guitar player singing backgrounds. But when you hear Ann and Nancy Wilson sing together, oh, yeah. it's angels. There's nothing like how they harmonize together. It's just, it's hard to describe until you hear it because we've all heard the Beatles. We've all heard Queen who does unique harmonies. But when those two sisters sing together, they just create magic. So no, I learn from everybody. I, I hope I do. You know, I, I really do. You know, guitar playing, singing, writing, performing, anything. I, I'm still I'm still learning. Yeah, you're extremely versatile, though. All those bands that I just mentioned. And uh, you've, you, I, you could never call you a sideman. You've always had your own voice. Now, what I mean by that mm -hmm. is if you talk to a rock and metal fan and you say, Gilby, it's you. Mm -hmm. Nobody else. You, you, you've sort of graduated. You long graduated to that point mm -hmm. where you were just a first name. So, so do you get many opportunities to say offer mentorship? I know you've done a little bit of it in the past to fall out boy in mm -hmm. some of these bands, but is that something that you're interested in moving forward? Um, when it, when it comes up, yeah, yeah. It's just, it, it doesn't come up a lot, to be honest. You know, um, I, I'll tell you one thing that was really inspiring was, uh, uh, with Uli John Roth, it was in New Zealand, of all places, we did something part of his Sky Academy. And oh my God, I mean, just hanging around that guy for a couple hours was inspiring because he gives back so much. And in that Sky Academy, it was for me, you know, I, I kind of thought it was just like a personal appearance thing, you know, where you show up, you play guitar, you answer some questions, clinic thing. But it wasn't. Uli would have each musician. I mean, it was like a huge theater full of musicians, whether they played guitar, bass, drums or whatever. And he'd have them, you know, play a piece. Mm. And he always had something unique and uh, in a learning that he would say to them, he would never say, you know, you're not good enough, give it up or whatever. He took something that they did well and he would, you know, help them with that. Mm. And I just, it blew me away how, what patience he had and, and how he could listen, like just the way he listened was, was, was really blew me away. So when those opportunities come up, I definitely do do it, but they really don't come up that, that often. Mm, yeah, fair enough. Yeah. Just going back to the gospel truth again, uh, something else and another uh, bit of praise here is that it's extremely cohesive. Uh, mm. you, you can, it's one of those rare rock albums, and please take this as a compliment, where I can have on in the background and it doesn't disturb you know what I'm saying? It's <laughs> yeah, not yeah, no, no. wavy up and down <laughs> records, you know? Yeah. So it, yeah. It, I've got to be honest, it is hard to single out a, a specific cut for praise because it is a unified mm -hmm. body of work. So it yeah. seems like it came together fairly easily, but I bet there were some challenges. So can you tell me if there were challenges, what you went through? The biggest challenge was it had been a long time since I made a solo record. And there was a lot of reasons why I didn't make a solo record for, geez, almost 20 years. It's, it'd been a long time. And when I started, when I decided and started the process for this record, the, the biggest challenge was I kind of felt like I had already covered all the subjects that were important to me. You know, things that are close to me that you write about. So I didn't want to be redundant, you know, and I didn't want to be, you know, repetitive. So I had to kind of dig because there are some of the same subjects on there, but I did take a different approach to it, you know? And, and mm. so that was a bit challenging, you know, was I, uh, and I'm not saying I went back and I listened because I, I, I don't have the best memory, but I at least re remember my own music and stuff, <laughs> but I did challenge myself lyrically on this record and also vocally. I mean, that's just natural of you, you get better, you know, hopefully you get better with age and stuff and you learn more about your keys where before 
I would write a song and it was always in the best guitar key, <laughs> not always the best vocal key. And so I did pay a little bit more attention to that on this record where I did work within my vocal keys than that. But lyrically, that was the most challenging thing, you know, once again, just not be redundant, not be repetitive and try to try to take a unique view on the songs, try not to use cliches and things like that. I, I, I took that to heart. Were there any concepts or themes then within the lyrics that you explored this time around? Um, not to be honest, no, I, I was really, um, uh, I approach songwriting in a lot of different ways. You know, sometimes I'm the observer, you know, sometimes it's not about me, you know, it, it's, it's like, it can be an experience that I was close to or an observer. So in all realities, it doesn't always have to be honest. <laughs> you know, it's, yeah. it's my honesty. It was honest to me, but I could be wrong, you know? So I, I definitely, you know, like I said, took that it, a little bit more of that voyeuristic approach to it this time, I think. Okay, cool. Yeah. You, you worked with Kenny Aronoff. Now, mm-hmm. when you get somebody like him in for a recording, I mean, you, you're a household name and he's approaching a household name, but I mean, he's just the drum behemoth, one of the drum gods, <laughs> you know. Got a very good description. <laughs> behemoth. <laughs> but what do you say to somebody like him when you're giving him a track to record? Do you give him, do you, do you actually need to give him any instructions or do you just go, Kenny, do your thing? Well, um, you know, yes and no. So what I do a lot of times, I mean, I'm not really a demo guy, but sometimes I do have like a demo of the song. Like that song, um, for the most part, was already worked up with the drum beat, with a live drum beat that my drummer did, you know. So sometimes a guy like Kenny will hear it and go, you know, I hear it like this. But I, but that song that he played on uh, just one song, Rock and Roll is Getting Louder, he really did what the track was already, but he did the Kenny Aronoff version of it, you know, which like you said, he's a behemoth. He's like, if you work in Pro Tools, he's perfect. Yeah. He's behind the beat. He nice. hits solid. He hits with feel, um, you know, but if something like, for instance, what you just said was more applied to Stephen Perkins, where... I get, I usually what I'll do is I have an idea. I have my guitar idea. I'll have an idea. Like I want the song to be bouncier. I want it to be like this. So I'll tell them what my idea is. Sometimes they go with it. And then sometimes they go, you know what? I don't feel that. And, and they'll go a whole different direction. So that's what I did with, with, with uh, uh, like I said, with Kenny kind of did follow what we had already had, but with Perkins, he took it in a whole new direction. Yeah. Yeah. I wouldn't say, it certainly wasn't a surprise to see you working with Stephen, but how did your friendship or your relationship with Stephen come about? Uh, boy, that's a good question. I can't remember when I met Stephen. You know, I don't remember when I met Stephen. I mean, Stephen's an LA boy. I mean, I, I, even though I've lived in LA, I'm not really an LA boy, but I've known Stephen for a long time. I mean, I, you know, I saw some of their first Jane's Addiction gigs. And oddly enough, I really wasn't a big fan of Jane's Addiction when they first came out. I was a little confused. It's like the guitar sound player sounded metal, but the singer, you know, sounded like Jim Morrison to me. I was like, I, I was having a hard time comprehending what they were doing. Um, I can't remember how I met Stephen, to be honest, but we are very good friends. We've played a lot of gigs together. We have a fun band we have called the Halloween Jack, where we just play 70s glam songs like Kiss uh alice cooper uh new york dolls uh iggy and um he's just he's 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 a good friend and i'm lucky enough to you know to you know he's in the rolodex musician wise that i can call on him okay sweet yeah gotcha and the, the other you've got a few collaborators here and the other one is nikki six 
Yes. <laughs> now, I, I've long felt that I think you guys need to form a band at some point, so ho- hopefully that happens. <laughs> but but yeah. look, your chemistry on Tightwater's on point. That's what my, my whole, my overall point there. But, what, you know, when you're writing a song and you bring in people like like Kenny and Stephen and Nikki, mm-hmm. so talking about Nikki here, when you were writing Tightwater, did you think, oh, Nikki would be perfect for this? Is that how it works? No, <laughs> no. It just was, uh, Nick, Nick, so Nikki was supposed to be on Pawn Shop Guitars. We a very, like, you know, long time ago. It just didn't work. We were in the studio at the same time. They were making the Karabi record while I was making Pawn Shop Guitars in the same studio. Uh-huh. And we tried to make it happen, but it just, it just didn't happen. So we've been talking about it over the years. And then when I was doing the record, I had just gone out to dinner with Nikki his wife and Billy Gibbons and his wife and, and myself, and my wife went out to dinner and we, you know, when you get together with Billy, you just really shut up and listen to his stories. Yeah. <laughs> but on the side, when he, uh, Billy went up, got up to go to the bathroom or whatever, Nick and I was talking, I go, you know, I'm actually working my record right now. You know, you, you have to do a track. And he said, well, send me what you got. And I just happened to send him that song. And I didn't send him a bass track. You know, I just sent him, actually it was just me and uh, Perkins's track and I let him do his thing. And he came in, he cut it at my studio and uh, I really just let him do his thing. And it's such a departure, you know, from what he does in Motley or even Brides of Destruction. Mm. You know, it really just fit the song and I didn't really have to say much. I He, he brought a 1959 P bass and he actually brought a pedal that I use to this day. Like I go, oh my God, it's such a great little bass pedal that I, I to this day, I still use that pedal. Yeah, it his baseline on it reminds me of the stuff he did on Too Fast for Love. You know that don't don't don't. Got you right. Yeah, yeah, you're right. I didn't even think about that. Interesting. Yeah, just yeah. Lo- locking it down for you to get, and I think that's why the album works. When I talk about the co- that cohesive factor, even though you've got these, and you are too, mate, gun musicians. Nobody's mm-hmm. overplaying their hand, which can happen on these sorts of albums when you collaborate. That's true. Yeah. I, you know, you know how it is, you know, when you start putting out your press releases, you know, you need every angle you can to get some attention and stuff. Yeah. And I'm also realistic. You know, it's a solo record. I get it. There's a category for every band that's their solo <laughs> records, but, but I'm, I'm just, like I said, I, all I can do is do what I do. Look, I'm honest about it. I try to do it with, with authenticity, yep. you know, and when, like I said, when I have these guys, they actually add something to the track. I'm not using them for their name. I'm using them for their ability, you mm-hmm. know? It's like I needed them on that track. It's like, I, you know, I almost wish I didn't have, but it, it helps them too to, you know, be, be attached to. I want to I go back in time a bit, if that's okay. Um, yeah, of course. I, I didn't realize until I was uh, doing some research for our conversation, but you were in the video for um, Give In To Me. So, <laughs> yeah. yeah, I mean, you're, you're definitely there, but I think it's just one of those yeah. things where they focus so much on Slash. And I, look, I yeah. understand it's MTV, it's the 90s, it's just the way that they, they did things back then. But did you record on that song as well? No, I didn't. No, they, uh, Michael had called, we were on tour with guns in Europe, and Michael was in Europe and he said, We're going to do the video for it. So he called Slash, he goes, Put a band together. And there was a moment where we actually were going to do like a mini concert when, when we did that. So it was in front of a live audience. And uh, and he, he asked myself and Teddy, you know, Teddy had been playing keys and GNR and stuff and the mm-hmm. wives and we all got on. Michael sent a private jet and we went to Germany. We did it. And what I remember is we're standing on stage and uh, it, it, it was Muzz, 
from Living Color yeah. and Tony Thompson on drums. And we actually had our amps plugged up and we were like jamming a little bit and stuff. We actually weren't even playing that song. We were just jamming a little bit. And there was a, a, an audience, a real live audience. And Michael walks on stage and the, the place just went like, you know, you hear that, that Beatles scream, you know, that, ah! you know, that's just so deafening, right? Yeah. And, and Michael came up to me and he goes, what are they screaming at? In this almost like childish <laughs> voice. And I look at him like this, because uh, you're Michael Jackson. <laughs> like, like, I couldn't believe he didn't get it, but he looked like he didn't know why these people were screaming at him. But it was a really fun experience. I'm so happy that Slash asked us to be a part of it. Yeah, nice. That's a, Jesus Christ, man. That's a hell of a band. Tony Thompson there on drums from Chic, who is, yes. I'm a bassist and I play a lot of disco and funk music. So I've had to learn a lot of uh, yeah. Bernard's bass lines that go alongside, of course, what Tony's doing there. But Muzz Skillings. Yes. Jesus. I mean, he, <laughs> I love Doug Wimbish and I've had a few, I've had a conversation. Yeah, him, of course. Yeah. You know, but do, is, is it a different feeling when you're with musicians like that? Is it just deeper in the pocket? Yes, yes, yeah. I mean, it's uh, like it says, some, for me, someone like Tony is, is you know, like Kenny. The reason they get those gigs is they have that pocket. You know, they're what I, what I, I call, they're behind the beat. Yeah. They're not pushing, yeah. they're not on the click, they're behind the beat. You know, it's just, that's stuff that's just built into you. And, and they just, you know, probably the first time they picked up sticks, they had that, you know. But yeah, Tony is definitely one of those guys. Muzz was a little odd, I thought, because... It didn't. Uh, it didn't feel like the natural fit. I mean, he was like, "All we're all in our black rock clothes," and he was dressed head to toe in white, white tennis shoes. <laughs> it was a very different vibe. But I mean, he's a sweetheart of a guy and a hell of a player. And you could see. I mean, for Slash, he was like putting together like his ultimate band, you know, just uh -huh. to jam a little bit. But, right. uh, but you know, I mean, I could see that band working very well. You know, with that, uh, you know, that uh, rhythm section is very strong. Yeah, yeah. But it, it also talks, of, I've mentioned the, the word already, versatility, that great versatility that you've got. And uh, uh, I had to look up, to be honest, who, who Kim Foley or Fowley was? Fowley, Kim Fowley. Fowley, yeah. there you go. But I understand you were his uh, go-to session guitarist. And what I, what I haven't heard before, of course, it's interesting, I'm a ghostwriter for biographies. But you're a ghostwriter <laughs> for musicians, yeah. So, so were, were you were you writing songs for Tiffany and all of those sort of people back in the day? Is that what you were doing? <laughs> well, it was a little bit of both. I mean, it first started out with just session guitar playing. I my job was I came in at midnight, and Kim would hand me these stacks. He always had these yellow legal pads, and he had a list of the songs. He goes fix. And he wrote, you know, like the verse guitar, chorus guitar, second song, you know, the, you know, what is it, the bridge or whatever. And it was just a, a, these probably like four of them, you know, of everything. And I would have to use their guitar and them, their amp. This is way before Pro Tools. This is tape yeah. where I had to go back in and fix the guitar parts that were played that day just so they were a little bit more in tune. You know, the intonation was better played in time. You know, sometimes you'd have some bands where you have to use the band musician and you know they're not experienced at recording and it's a little you know too sloppy it was that thing they would always call oh we'll fix it in the mix and i i was in the mix <laughs> so that yes. was my first job with kim was just ghost playing and a lot of times i would play bass too which you know we weren't making a lot of money so since i had already learned the song and guitar he would go fix the bass so i'd just pick up the bass and do bass too um but uh the writing process with kim is kind of a long story but kim would always call it, I'm taking you to rock and roll school. 
And Kim always wanted to burst that bubble to us young musicians that had the dreams of being rock stars, of writing our hit songs and being in a band and stuff. And he wanted to always show us that, look, it's a business. He goes, I don't know. I don't know how to play any instrument, Kim would say. I don't play piano. I don't play guitar. And look at all the gold records on my wall that all the songs I've written. And it was true. He had a way of writing songs. So I used to come in and help him write songs. And all he would do was he would put a record on and he'd go lift that verse. So I would listen to it. I'd lift it and I'd put it on a tape recorder. He goes, he'd pull out another record. Listen, I lift it. Then he'd go, okay, now play those four parts in the same key and do it four times. You press a, a recorder and I would do that. And he goes, here's a hundred dollars. That's one song. And that's how he wrote all his songs. And that's just, just me. There are a lot of other guitar players and keyboard players he used during those years. I, I imagine you've been tapped on the shoulder and I know Steve Lukather had talked about this to record <laughs> on some pretty seriously big albums that lists yeah. the guitarist in the credit that, didn't actually play on the album it's you so yeah. without throwing anybody under the bus you've done that haven't I'm you? not I'm not gonna do it I can't do it because I know some of the people yeah you know what I mean <laughs> but you, yeah. to be honest a lot of times you don't know who you're recording for you know you, like I said I would come in with a list and, and to tell you the truth, sometimes I do it not even hearing the vocal mm. you know like you know I'm just concentrating on the you know I do it so fast I mean I had from like midnight to like six in the morning to cut a lot of tracks so a lot of times I wasn't even listening to vocal. I was just listening to the guitar part to make sure I knew what I was playing. And then you have to, you know, make sure you're trying to play it the way they played it. So, mm -hmm. but I have found out over the years, a couple of them, and I can't do it. I really can't do it. I, I, I would be a, I'd be a shit bag if I, if I called them out. <laughs> no, no, it's all good. I just, I can just imagine you, I'm just going to, I'm not picking on the band by the way, but Green Day, yeah. I can just imagine you playing on a Green Day <laughs> album. It's just one of those visions that I, I had of, of people like yourself and Steve getting the call like you talk about at midnight, you know, the album's got to be yeah. done back in the day when there were deadlines and, and yeah. media appearances. Yeah. Like and I said, it wasn't just me. It wasn't just Steve. There were a lot of guys out there that were doing yeah. this stuff. It just meant what producer you were working with, you know, of, of who, you know, you had the call with. Are you still a Les Paul guy? Absolutely. I'm, I'm a Les Paul guy. I just, it's the, <laughs> I, it, it's odd. People ask me things like, how do you play in Guns N' Roses, Heart, Nancy Sinatra, and MC5? I go, <laughs> I played the same Les Paul and the same Marshall Head in, in every band, you know? It's, uh, yeah, I'm a Les Paul guy. I, I, just, I just got what brand new uh, 2021, and, and, and it's fantastic. I love it. Oh, is that the one with the auto-tune on the top, the self-tuner? No, I don't have any of those. Yeah, yeah, I don't. It's just, it's a new one. You know, Gibson got uh, bought out a few years back under yeah. new management, and the guys are doing a fantastic job. They're doing a great job with getting back in touch with some of their core uh, artists and stuff like that. So uh, I've, I've been lucky. I've done a couple of their videos for them over the last year or two. So um, they've been doing a fantastic job. It was touch and go for Gibson there a few years ago, wasn't it? Yeah, and absolutely. Did, yeah, did it was call... a different company. Did they call you in as a brand ambassador just to give them? No, out? no, never. I'm not. I mean, you know, it, let's be realistic. You know, I'm not Slash or Zach or, you know, that that's who they want on those things. But I mean, it'd be nice. But no, I never got, got that point. Wow. Yeah. It's fun. Isn't it interesting talking to someone like yourself and the perception that I have, having mm -hmm. watched you in those videos, the Gunners videos back in the day and thinking that you're this almighty rock star and then hearing the humility there. <laughs> when, when... Nah, we got to be realistic and, and you got to have some drive too, you know? I get you. I get you. Yeah. Mate, I better let you go to the next one. I think it's probably kicking off in five minutes time or so, is it? Yeah, yeah, I got it five minutes, but it's going yeah. good. Yeah. Nowadays, yeah. it's a click of a button, man. It's so easy. <laughs> <laughs> well, I will ask you this then. 
your career, as far as I'm concerned, uh, you're one of the guys. I'm a, I'm a musician, as, a, as I've said a few times. Mm-hmm. So people like yourself tend to be the guys that I place emphasis on over the singer even. Thank you. Is there an aspect of your career that you wish got more attention from people in interviews and the like? Well, that's a good question. Let me think about that. Um, I, I mean, I think if I ever had to like correct a, a misconception is... You know, like when I got the guns gig, which is probably, you know, definitely like, you know, one of the biggest steps I had in my career, you know, people perceive me as a rhythm guitar player, you know, because I played rhythm in, in guns. But that's the first time I actually really worked with another guitar player was with guns, you know, and mm. I, look, I'll be the first to say I'm no slash, you know, but but, I, you know, I was never just a rhythm guitar player. You know, it's, it's something that happened from that, which I don't mind. I enjoy it. Rhythm is, you know, 95 percent of the song. But um, that, I think it is a big misconception, you know, that the guys that are the rhythm guitar player in a band, that's all they do. Yeah. Did you bring songs into Guns that were considered for, for what might, might have been a new album in the 90s? I'm sorry, say it again one more time. Did you bring songs into Guns? For, for oh, like yeah. My, and... my first record, uh, Pawn Shop Guitars, I brought all those songs to Guns, you know, when, oh, wow. when we were talking about a record, you know, just like Slash brought in the whole Snake Pit record as songs for Guns. It just, you know, I mean, we'll never really know what Axel really thinks, but, you know, just it wasn't the direction he wanted to go in. And now you hear Chinese democracy, you can understand why it wasn't that and it was this. Yeah, yeah. Missed opportunity. So to say the least there, it's, uh, I mean, you, you know what fans' opinions are, mate. You know, uh, ultimately, you you are one of the core six or seven. And oh, well, thank you. Fan, fans would truly, truly love to see yourself. And from a fan, I'm speak, speaking strictly from a fan's perspective, yeah. to see yourself, Stephen and Izzy on stage again. And I've, sp- <laughs> I've spoken to Frank, and Frank's a lovely guy, right? So it's not Yeah, nothing of course, they're, Frank, they're wonderful right? guys. I yeah, agree. Yeah. I completely agree. You know, um but that's what we want. And I noticed guns are actually touring uh, here at the end of the year, but uh, it's, it's interesting because they only toured here about two, three years ago or so. And I watched it. Great show, by the way, nothing bad to say about the show, but you just hope that the people at the head of the table, if you know what I'm saying, you know, who and management recognize that fans like myself, the died and the wolf fans, the fans that grew up with you, that will never stop listening to you, especially, Mm -hmm. you know, and, and, and followed your career. You give us that reward. You know, that's what I think people want to hear and see, you know? Yeah. And I don't disagree with you. I mean, once again, when I joined the band, I was a fan too. That appetite record was amazing. It was amazing record. Like I said, I'd love to see Steven and Izzy play with the guys while they're still alive and still healthy. I would love to see that. You know, I really would. I've spoken to Stephen, and uh, I reckon, with the greatest of respect to him, I reckon he would, if he could do a tour, he would die happy the next day. He's, I agree. I agree. I agree. Yeah. Like I said, while they're all alive, I mean, look at all these wonderful bands, ACDC, you know, and Van Halen, that we we don't get oh, the yeah. guys anymore. You know, it's it's while it's while it's possible, it should never be about money. I would hope that everybody made enough money in their days. You know, it. it I don't know what what it is, but it it shouldn't be. Well. I'll leave it there, but I'm going to issue one final compliment. I've only done this five or six times in 600 interviews, but you are a legend. You are, uh, you know, one of those people that we look up to as musicians and who's, who's, as I say, whose music is the soundtrack to our lives. And I just want you to know that, man, that it is important what you've been doing and what you continue to do because, you know, we as rock fans, we rely on the music to help us get through the day. Mm-hmm. Well, thank you for saying that because, you know, uh, you know, all artists need a little help you know and there were a lot of years there where i did have that opinion of 
what do I need to make a record for? You know, the industry has changed, the labels, you know, but the reality was, you know, as an artist, it's your job. You need to be creative, you know, good, bad, or whatever. You got to get something out there and you need to, you know, when, once those juices start of recording and writing, you're, you're a better person for doing it. Yeah, yeah. Well, mate, I hope to catch up with you when this bloody COVID bullshit's all over when you come down here again. <laughs> yeah. So fingers crossed that happens. And congratulations on your career on this excellent album, The Gospel Truth, man. Long may you live and rock. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks, my brother. And you too. Keep going, man. We need all the good music we can get. <laughs> Absolutely, mate. No worries. Take all right. Care. Great to Be chat good. to you. Thanks, brother. You have been listening to the Scars and Guitars podcast. My name's Andrew Mackay-Smith. That interview subject was the one and only, one of the greatest and most understated rock stars of our time, Mr. Gilby Clark. Thank you so much for tuning in.